Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. Last week, we were able to take a hard look at Paul's situation in a Roman prison. We find Paul here in a Roman prison in this first chapter of Philippians, and the Holy Spirit really gives us a glimpse into his heart. The Holy Spirit really gives us a glimpse glimpse into Paul's thought process, into his thinking, into his reactions in the face of true adversity. How many know that adversity does not build character, but adversity rather reveals your character? Amen. And so Paul's character is really revealed here. And I believe that Paul knew something. He knew a little something. And I want to look at why Paul was able to react the way he was and be victorious in this situation. But he knew something. And I don't know, you know, I'm a big sports person, so forgive me if these analogies, you know, some don't quite get it. But if you've ever watched a football game, one of the things that you may see is if the quarterback, the guy who has the ball and his, his, his job to distribute it, he hands it off to the running back or he'll throw it to a receiver, uh, you know, he calls the plays and all. You're familiar with Peyton Manning here, right, in Indiana. So he was a very, very good Hall of Fame quarterback. And um, one of the things you'll notice is when they go out and say they throw the ball and they throw an interception, okay, and the other team gets it, that's a mistake. So they run over to the sideline, and sometimes you'll see on TV, they'll show them talking on the phone. It's like, well, who is he talking to? I mean, I know he's not ordering pizza or, you know what I mean, checking stocks. I mean, you know, who is he talking to? Well, if you're a follower of football, one of the things you'll know is that the quarterback is probably talking to an assistant coach who's up in a booth, right, high above the field. So he talks to that coach, and the coach is saying, listen, here's why that interception happens, and here's what you can do next time. Don't do that. Do this. And even if the quarterback says, well, I don't think that's going to work because that just doesn't feel right, the coach says, I have an insight that you don't have. I have a viewpoint that you don't have. You can't see what I see high above the field. Come on. Paul knew that God has an insight. God has a viewpoint that we just don't have. And I don't understand, I'm talking to myself, but I don't understand why we argue with God sometimes and want to do things our own way because we think it's better based on our experiences, based on our feelings, based on what we think should happen. God has a viewpoint. God has stepped back. In fact, even outside of time, God is in eternity. So God's already been, if you want to really get down to it, where you're going. He's already been there. He's, the Bible says that God sees the end from the beginning. He's already there. So why would we not take his word for it? Well, Paul was able to understand this very well. And as he wrote this first chapter, he was under Roman house arrest. But one of the things that I don't know if you've thought about this or ever read about this when Paul has written some of these letters in this particular situation, he uh, was judged for a capital crime under Nero. 
And Nero didn't play. You may have heard the name Nero, but Nero didn't play. <laughs> and so essentially he's on death row. And I'm trying to set all up, set all that up to, to say, how is Paul then able to say, rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. Wait a minute, dude, you're on death row. You're, you're facing death and you're able to say rejoice in the Lord always. It's because he understands that God has a vantage point that he doesn't necessarily have at that moment. And so your problems, the adversity that you go through, God is able to tell us which way to go. God's able to help us to navigate that because he can see the end. It's like looking at a mouse in a maze. You're able to say, don't go that way, go this way. I can draw it out for you. But if you're in the maze, it doesn't look, I don't, that looks like a dead end. I know it may look like a dead end to you, but if you'll follow what I'm telling you to do, you'll get out and you'll get out safely. And so we have to see things from God's perspective. So this book of the Bible, Philippians, this letter, if we were going to give it a theme, if we were going to say there's a theme to it, we could sum up the theme of this book by saying that it is the joy of the Christian life and service manifested. That means we can see it in all circumstances. We're not, we don't, we're not run by circumstances. We have the joy of the Christian life and service no matter what's going on. Our circumstances don't run us, but we have the joy of the Christian life and it doesn't matter what or who is around us. We're able to do that. Paul's going to show us how. A little more background on the letter. Each week I want to give you a little bit more background uh, on this letter and uh, sort of a letter profile. This was written to the Christians in Philippi. As you know, there was a church there uh, when Paul was in a prison in Rome. Uh, the church at Philippi was founded by the people who Paul led to Christ on a missionary journey. When he was on a missionary journey, he went through Philippi. He went through, blazed a trail, and they said, well, we're starting a church. We're going to start a church. And so Lydia and her family and the Philippian jailer and his family may have been part of this first church. You'll see that over in Acts 16. Uh, Ephroditus, as I talked about last week, he was, on, he was on his way to see Paul and fell sick. And then Paul said, stay here with me a while and I'm going to write this letter and when you get better, take it back. All right, so that's kind of the setup. That's kind of where we are. It was written to the Philippian Christians for their generous financial and spiritual gifts to Paul and to address some of their practical problems, some of their practical problems. So when you go through this, there's some things that I call in spite ofs, some in spite ofs. When I look at Paul, there were some things that, that he did. There was feelings and thoughts that he had that were in spite of, in spite of. And so Paul experiences joyfulness in spite of being in chains. I'm in chains, but I'm still experiencing joyfulness. Paul experiences joyfulness in spite of opposition. Those who come against him, I'm preaching the gospel, but you're coming against me. See, it's easy to preach the gospel here, right here, right now. This is, this is easy. Some say, well, that seems difficult. You know, you're, I wouldn't know what to say. I would freeze up. Well, it's easy. You know, most of you are Christians. And I know a lot of you, so it's not very difficult to preach the gospel because I know that you love me and you'll give me a couple amens even if you don't necessarily agree. You'll just tell me that later, but you'll give me a couple amens. <laughs> and it's what, thank you, amen. And it's what we should do to each other. We encourage each other, even in correction. 
Christians, we encourage each other. We should never be afraid of church or afraid of Christians, right? And so it's easy in here. But I tell you, when you put yourself out there, right, and you, 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 you proclaim uh, the, the name of Jesus amongst non-believers, and not just not, not apathetic non-believers, but I mean they're believers, they're just non-believers in what you believe in. Come on, they believe in what they believe in. And then you get some opposition, and you get called some names. I've experienced it. Right? It's, it's hard then to keep your joy in spite of. But Paul did it. Paul experiences joyfulness in spite of facing death. In spite of facing in the face of death, he still experiences joy. We have to understand that God never promises us storm-free lives. Storms will come. In fact, storms must come. I mean, we, I don't even have time to get into that, but storms must come. In other words, God promises us overcoming lives, doesn't he? In fact, there's a, there's a passage in uh, Revelation that talks about the overcomer will be in the throne room with Jesus. All right? So you, you might say, well, I don't want adversity in my life. I don't want to go through all that. I, don't want, I just want the mountaintop. I don't want the valley. Well, then you won't be in the throne room with Jesus. <laughs> come on. Because the overcomer, and if you don't have anything to overcome, guess what? You're not going to overcome. You're not going to overcome. But he promises us overcoming lives if we follow his plans. He calls us to be happy even though we experience trials. The world wants us to believe that our happiness is predicated on our circumstances. But, and then it will change our mood. Our circumstances change, our mood change. But God wants to remind us not to put our hope in our circumstances, but to put our hope in his hope. To put our hope in him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. You know it as pray without ceasing. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4. We'll get there in a few weeks. It says, Always be full of joy in another translation. I say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Psalm 118.24 says, this is the day. Anybody ever heard that? That the Lord has made. Let us be full of joy and be glad in it. And in John 16.24, until now, Jesus says, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. But here's the point. Here's why. That your joy may be full. It is his desire for you to live a life of joy. See, your happiness is predicated on happenstance, but your joy, which is something totally different, has nothing to do with your circumstances or your happenstance, but it has to do with who you believe in and whose you are. Come on, somebody. So let's finally get to our passage here in Philippians, enough of the introduction. Philippians chapter 1, I believe we're down at verse 12, so let's begin at verse 12, and I'm going to... Uh, I'm not going to read the whole rest of the chapter, but I'll read all the way down to maybe 24. So buckle up, get ready, let's go. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 says, But I want you to know, brethren, Paul is talking to them, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Verse 19 says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also in Christ, will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that in your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Now, Paul here expresses the fact that he is going through adversity, but the focus is not on the adversity. The focus is on Christ, the focus is on encouraging others, and the focus is on advancing the gospel, despite the adversity that he's going through. Anytime you hear the word adversity, the natural reaction is to worry, to panic, to try to figure out what you can do. Someone else is going through adversity. Well, what can I do to help? If you get a call, someone uh, was in an accident, someone uh, has a health problem, what, 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 what happened? And you want to figure out what can I do to help? So we want to worry and we want to panic. And the church might have expected the absolute worst for Paul. Oh no, he was just here. He encouraged us. Look, we started a church and the Holy Spirit is moving and now he's on death row. He's on death row. The natural reaction is to worry and to panic. But Paul countered that very quickly in his letter to the Philippian church. He proclaimed that he, with the gospel, he would advance the gospel even in his chains. This term advance, the, the, the Greek word that is used here, it, it, it's speaking to, um, it describes a war situation, blazing a trail before an army. That's what it means to advance. We're going forward. You see, remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, who do you say I am? And they said some things and he, he told Peter, he said, upon this rock, that revelation that you have of me, I'll build my church. And guess what? The gates of hell will not be able to stop us. In other words, uh, they, they can't stop us from moving forward. We're not sitting here and they're coming against us. No, they, they put up some gates because they know we're coming. Are we coming? We're coming. Come on. That's the attitude we have to have as Christians. We're not on the defense. Oh, what is Satan going to do to me? I don't care the chains that you put me in. Understand this. You better use some chains because I'm coming. You better use some chains. You better use something. I don't know what you know, but you better know something. Because <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming. 
You know, I'm a big movie buff. I was watching a movie one time, and I, I saw a guy who was a, a great fighter, and he, he was fighting people. And then this one guy jumped in his way, and he, he was doing all this, you know, uh, karate. And he said, I know karate. I said, well, you better know something, because <laughs> I'm about to knock you out. See, that's, that's, that, listen, that's the attitude we have to have. You better come with something. You better come with something, because I'm coming. The Holy, if God be for us, who can be against us? When will we believe that? When will we believe it? Paul understood it. Paul understood it. So don't shy away from adversity. That's what I'm trying to get you to say. Adversity is a state of, or an instance of serious or continued difficulty. It happens. Guess what? It happens. Guess what? It happens in life. Yes, there, Jesus said it. In fact, I, I mean, if I really look at it, really, he kind of promised it. In this life, you will have tribulation. But I already overcame it. I already overcame it. So when it comes against you, all you have to do is say, well, I'm in Jesus, and he already overcame it. He, I didn't see it coming, but he certainly did, and I'm in him. Come on, I have his DNA. I'm an overcomer. I am an overcomer. Here's what you have to realize about adversity. Here's what Paul's trying to tell us, that adversity is not your destiny. Adversity is not, don't, don't get all tied up, oh my, guess what, this is not your destiny. This is a stepping stone. Remember, I either win or I learn. I either win or I learn. What can I learn from this situation? Come on, speak God's word in the situation. Adversity, Horace said, has the effect of eliciting talents which in prosperous circumstances would have lain dormant. What does that mean? That means that uh, adversity has a way of bringing things out of us that we, we never knew we had. Gifts and talents we never knew that we could display. But in times of adversity, leaders rise up. In times of adversity, you do things you didn't even know you could do. Come on. That's what adversity is for. And understand that adversity is not your enemy. It's not your enemy. Adversity is a tool if you allow it to be. Ella Wheeler Wilcox, she was a 19th century writer and poet, and I've read some of her stuff. She said this, she said, no difficulty can discourage, no obstacle dismay, no trouble dishearten the man who has acquired the art of being alive. Jesus said, I come that you might have what? Come on. Difficulties are but dares of fate, obstacles but hurdles to try his skill, troubles, but bitter tonics to give him strength, and he rises higher and looms greater after each encounter with adversity. Is that you? Because that's the type of person Jesus wants you to be. He wants you to be the person that looms higher, to be the person that, that sucks up adversity. Come on. I mean, young people watch all these superhero movies. I, I know there was one uh, villain that uh, it, it, every time there was electricity or lightning, it made him stronger, right? And that's the way we are with adversity. Come on, bring it, because it's just going to make me stronger. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to overcome more, more, more. 2 Corinthians 4.8 says, We are hard-pressed in the New King James, on every side, yet not crushed. Come on. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. The New Living Version, listen, put it this way. It says, we are pressed on every side, but we still have room to move. I know you're coming against me. I still got room. 
<laughs> we are often in much trouble, but guess what? We never give up. People make it hard for us, but we're not left alone. God never leaves us or forsakes us. Sometimes we're knocked down, but guess what? We're not destroyed because we carry his marks on our bodies that show the death of Jesus. This is how Jesus makes his life seen in our bodies. We are overcomers. You are an overcomer. Listen, I want to tell you something this morning. You are not a conqueror. <laughs> uh, come on now. Come on. You are more than a conqueror. You're greater than the greatest conqueror. Because you have in you the one that conquered death itself and the grave. And when it's all over, he's going to take death, the grave, and all those who are against him and throw it all in the lake of fire. All of it's going. Come on. You better know something, enemy. You better know something because I'm coming. <laughs> I'm coming. The gospel was spread among the palace guard. It says in verse 13, how did Paul advance this gospel? It, 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 was, it was spread amongst the palace guard. Uh, and that, that, that word there is uh, praetorian in the Greek. And it also meant, um, a lot of times when I, when I read that, I thought the palace guard, he's talking about the, the guards that guarded him. But that Greek word really means the barracks, the palace guard. It means the place. So not only was the gospel given to those who guarded him, but because of Paul's chains, anybody who was around under the sound of his voice or knew his situation, the gospel went into because of his adversity. Not just because of his adversity. Here's what I'm telling you. I don't want you to just embrace bad situations. That's not what I'm telling you. But what I'm telling you is embrace the opportunity that it gives you to overcome because you know God is in you. You know greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You know that I am the head and not the tail. You know that I am more than a conqueror. You know that you are an overcomer. You know that you serve the rose of Sharon. Yes, but the lion of Judah as well. You know that the resurrected one is in you and the same spirit that raised him from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you and will cause you to overcome in every situation come on and because you know that because you know that you're able to overcome so it's not the adversity that you're embracing but it's the overcoming that you're embracing you better know something because I'm coming the gospel was shared to those who wouldn't have heard it if not for Paul's adversity and then you see that it encouraged Christians. Christians uh, were encouraged to speak in verses 14 to 17. The church at Rome began to preach more courageously and more fearlessly. In actuality, the church in Rome had two different reactions. Some of the members were encouraged by Paul and preached out of sympathy. Paul says this. Others hoped to get Paul into more trouble with Roman officials. But Paul said, guess what? Even when you try to get me in trouble, you're still preaching the gospel. The gospel's still getting preached. Joke's on you. You better know something. <laughs> Paul focused first on the brethren who supported him. In addition, he was able to see beyond the differences in motivation and realize that Christ was proclaimed. Christ was proclaimed. The context revealed that their preaching was encouraged by the imprisonment, not by the expected release. In other words, it didn't matter what was going to happen. We are encouraged that you are saying, I am rejoicing in the midst of all of this. It advances the gospel. And then Paul says something. He says, to live is Christ 
but to die is gain. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. What does he mean by that in verse 21? Paul wasn't saying that, listen, if I stay alive, it's Christ because I can still go to church. I can still read my Bible. I can still pray. You know, that, that's Christ. No, that's not what he was saying. Not what he was saying. He's saying that living meant that he would continue to bear fruit. And there's the key. Jesus wants us to live fruitful lives. In fact, it's the first thing that God said, isn't it? It's the first thing he said to man, to human. He said, what did he say? Be fruitful and what? Multiply. That doesn't just mean having babies. Come on. I mean, it's in every part of your life, be fruitful. Bring some fruit back. Come on. Bear fruit. Obviously, he's saying that if he dies, he'll be with Christ. And that's not a bad deal because now I don't have to deal with this adversity. But here's what, here's, here, here's what it means to be Christ. In John 15, verse 16, some of you are familiar with it. Jesus said this. He said, you did not choose me, right? He said, I chose you. I appointed you. Not only chose you, I appointed you that you should go and what? Bear fruit. That's why I chose you. I chose you for a purpose that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask, sometimes we don't read this part. Whatever, whatever, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. He may give you. Those go together. It's in the same verse. Spoken by the same person, in the same breath. Listen, I appointed you that you would bear fruit, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. He'll give you. Verse 21 in the Living Bible puts it this way. Paul's saying, for to me, living means opportunities for Christ. And dying, well, that's better yet. Living means opportunities for Christ. I mean, if I die, that's great. Even better. I get to go to be with the Lord. That's why he wasn't afraid of dying. You see, Paul knew. He knew Christ's mind. A mind that put the needs of others above his own personal desires. Paul knew that he would remain on earth to minister to the churches because he knew that there was more fruit that needed to be born. Paul considered the welfare of fellow Christians more important than his desire to go and be with the Lord. By enduring on earth, he could assist their spiritual growth and joy in the Christian faith. This joy is not in circumstances, but it's from a relationship in Christ Jesus. The source of true joy for believers is in our relationship. And see, everything comes along with that. See, don't, don't just search after things. Search after a relationship with Christ. Because if you seek him first and his righteousness, how much of it will he bring to you? All these things, all these things, all these things will be added to you. Some of us have been engulfed with the cares of life, with the cares of the world. We've been engulfed in our circumstances, in our affliction, that we've become somewhat callous, I'll even say, to the real reason for living in the first place, to bear fruit. 
When you focus on your circumstances and your afflictions, it becomes very difficult to realize the simplicity of living a Christ-like life, a life that bears fruit, and thereby being able to ask the Father for anything in Jesus' name. So Christ is asking us this morning through Paul's letter to the Philippians that we would renew our focus on him. Don't, don't let your focus be on all of the things you've accomplished. Don't let your focus be on your adversity. Don't let your focus be on your trials. Don't let your focus be on your gifts. Let your focus truly be on him this morning and all these things will be added unto you. Amen.